You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast, the post-draft podcast. All four guys in the house. I am Dalton here with Connor, Lucas, and Isaiah. Fellas, how are we doing? Isaiah, how did you spend your draft night as the resident draft hater? I watched a real sport. I watched the Timberwolves. Oh, heater on a heater, baby. Going streaking, going streaking. We are recording this Friday morning after the first round of the NFL draft. And as of right now, T-Wolves four game heater. That feels good. They're climbing those standings, baby. I think fourth worst record in the NBA now. They were the worst team in the NBA a couple weeks ago. Feels good. I think you got to start saying 26th best record in the NBA. That's right. We're getting into that this high. Yeah, baby. Love to hear that. That's good stuff. The only problem with the Wolves right now is there's not enough schedule, baby. I don't know. I don't. I look at our schedule and I don't see another loss. So the only problem is we're running out of season. If not playoffs, watch out, baby. The NBA is scared to do the right thing and put the Wolves in the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. I think they I've heard this discussion before where if you could like go a hot, you know, go a hot hand. So like extend the playoffs to, you know, extra teams or like do almost all the teams so you can ride a hot hand into the playoffs. I've heard like people use that because they're like, you know, if, if a team finishes really strong over the last 15 or 20 games, should you let them like be in the playoffs, even if they're one of the lowest teams in the league? Because it's like, hey, ride, ride the hot hand. They're ready to play. I think it's a terrible argument because it's like, oh, terrible just idea. disregard the first 62 games of the season. But if it was true, watch out for the Wolves. Hey, the NBA has that play-in tournament for teams 7 through 10 now. They could go 7 through 9, and the last team is the oh, best dude hot team of the remaining teams below nine. So like 10 through 16 in the conference. Let's just do a fan voting. Let's just open up to the fans, the 10th seed. What do you think of that? I don't know if we want to do that, That, guys. I don't know if if we're trying to get the Timberwolves into the playoffs. I think fan voting is not going to be the way we get there. (laughs) I don't know, man. The buzz, the buzz, man. No, I don't know. I can't decide. Uh, I know we talked last week. I'll, I won't do too much bullets for us, but I know we talked last week about kind of the importance of finishing the season strong and trying to get a little bit of uh, synergy going into next season and getting our guys uh, playing well together. Um, and Chris Finch just kind of echoed that sentiment. He said, you know, we're, we're here to win. We're going to play really hard. We're not resting guys over the last few games. Um, and I think in addition to his... Um, coaching acumen that we're seeing like in, in terms of x's and o's we we knew he was going to be a good offensive coach and he's shown that like his ability to drop plays you look at that jazz play to end the game that was fantastic um just baiting the jazz on using carl towns as bait um but i think i think what we're seeing is that you you can be a player's coach i think chris finch from what i've seen so far is still a player's coach it seems like he's done a really good job of developing relationships in a really short amount of time but you can still hold people accountable. And I think that was uh, what we weren't seeing when we had Ryan Saunders in here is that he was a player's coach to the nth degree. And I think what happens is you get, you, you kind of lose some of that. Like if you're, if you're everybody's friend the entire time, it's hard to then be their dad in a sense. Like if, if you want to look at it that way, it's like, 
when you're always buddy buddy when it's time to when it's time to get down to work uh, to be the guy to be the leader that everybody looks to and everybody follows. Um, but I think Chris Finch, from what we've seen, he has a nice balance with that of, you know, he's he's still looking for a lot of work here to end the season. So it's good to see. I'm I'm optimistic, but it might just be like how an NFL season ends where all the teams that are really bad just win the last couple games because nobody cares. We've beat solid some solid teams like the Jazz. I think Dalton had talked about that, that the Jazz is kind of uh, kind of our little brother right now. I mean, we're just taking them out and beat them in every sport possible. But um, but then I guess Golden State's not a great team. So, like, I, I don't know. Is there is there something to be said about when they come play the Wolves? Maybe they just like mail it in that night and then we capitalize but ultimately it seems like from the stat sheet we're we're doing doing the things you got to do to win so i'm happy with it but i'm skeptical i guess is my point yeah i mean the wolves are six and two in their last eight they beat utah twice they beat miami who's a playoff team in the east i mean they're not as good as they were last year but they are a playoff team and golden state's competing for a playoff berth so i wouldn't say we're beating all cupcakes one reason that I am optimistic for next season is the Wolves have won four in a row and they have $11 million sitting on the bench in Ed Davis and Jarrett Culver that they could potentially move. And Ricky, da- Ricky and Ricky Rubio in the first three games of the winning streak scored two points, two points, and three points in those three games. And he's $17 million. So they've got $23 million locked up in assets of Rubio, Culver, and Davis, who if they can find a way to wiggle out of at least one of Culver or Rubio, they could potentially sign another nice like bench piece or starting caliber player. Ed Davis, his contract is expiring, so they're going to get $5 million there, but that's not a ton. But I, I think they're going to have a little bit of wiggle room where they could add some depth to this squad for next season. Love that you conveniently ignored the 26 points Rubio put up against the Warriors. Whatever fits your narrative, let's let's go further back. (laughs) Six points, six points, 11 points, two points, two points, three points. Not good. He's a pass first point guard. (laughs) More than than two points. (laughs) Uh, Whatever fits your narrative, Ike. He's five of eight from three. He's had some good games. He has had a few games this season where he's hit, what, like five, six threes? Against Chicago earlier in the season, five of six from deep. Ricky shows off every once in a while. So, I mean, he, he's not horrible, but for $17 million, you'd like to get a little bit more out of him. On that, we can agree. But moving on, let's talk some Vikings draft. So, the Vikings were at pick 14. We did our mock through pick 14. And then they traded back. They promptly... Rick Spielman did. They swapped with the Jets to drop down to pick 23 and added a couple third-round selections. So Lucas Hansen, our resident Viking specialist, how'd you feel about the trade to drop back from 14 to 23 and what they got in return was a couple of thirds? Yeah, I mean, with, with Rashawn Slater going at 13... Um, I really, really would have loved to have him. He was just top two talent um, for for offensive line, which so is unfortunate. Very Vikings esque that he goes right before our pick. Um, but then after that, I mean, it was kind of a crapshoot. And I think I like moving back, but I'm not super thrilled with 
just getting two thirds out of it and giving up a first and a fourth. Um, so I really would have liked getting a second somehow. Rick should have worked a little magic, but he's probably saving it so he can get some seventh rounders later in the uh, later in the draft here. But um, I don't. I like the move back. Uh, I like the pick because obviously, as our listeners will know, I picked Christian Derisai as our as our pick for number fourteen. He just so happened to be nine picks later at twenty three. So I like the pick. I uh, I like the move. I just don't exactly love the. Uh, details of the trade yeah I feel the same way I was um, obviously we we were chatting during the draft and I was like if we would have been FaceTime visibly upset about the fact that we traded back 10 picks and and gave up one of our fourth rounders which isn't the biggest thing in the world but to trade back 10 picks I feel like is worth two-thirds in my mind but maybe I'm just like dramatic about how how valuable first round picks are. So I didn't love, I didn't love the trade. I don't think we got as much as I had hoped for. I was hoping to trade back 10 picks. To be honest, I was hoping we could get a late second rounder. Um, But I guess the jets don't have that. And I guess our third rounder is like the second pick of the third round. So that's slightly nice, but I don't know. I was a little disappointed. We didn't get more in that package. And, but overall, I think, I think it's a good pick. I think they addressed a big need area. Um, I like that he's a tackle. I think that's going to be going to be big for us. One of my big critiques, I talked about it last night, but if you watch the highlight reel, I'd like to see a pancake block in my highlight reel. If I'm an offensive tackle at the Division One level and I can't sneak in one pancake block into my highlight reel, to me, bit of a red flag. So... Slightly concerned about his run blocking ability, but um, he seems to be a good pass blocker. So overall, I think it's a good pick, but watch out for that, people. He may get eaten up by some D or some uh, some NFL defensive end if he can't pancake block guys from Syracuse and Boston College. That's all I'm saying. I think that's a very fair assessment. But uh, like they said, his strength is the zone blocking scheme. So not coming downhill quite as much but i agree it's a little alarming when it's not in his highlight he's a big reel, body and so. they said he gave up zero sacks last season at virginia tech so that's something i mean he's 6'5 314 a little concerning that uh, i think it was mel kuyper one of the espn guys after he got drafted said darissa has slow feet but he's in a good position most of the time i guess we'll <laughs> keep hoping that uh, the speed of the nfl game doesn't catch up to <laughs> darissa's slow feet yeah, I saw one thing that was kind of a, a downside to him was he he relies on his athleticism a little bit too much sometimes uh, rather than his, you know, technique or his form. So hopefully they can just coach that up a little bit. Uh, but I mean, at least he's athletic and he's not like unathletic out there. Right. So also quickly, Mel Kuyper, that dude was visibly shaking on the draft last night. Did you guys notice that? It was actually scaring me how wired he was. <laughs> yeah, he had to pee. He never peed. Yeah, kind of cracked that code. Um, yeah, no, I I did see him shaking a little bit, and I do remember hearing a story, I think, last year or a couple years ago where they were, like, jokingly asking him about, um, does he ever pee? Because he pretty much locks in in that spot for, like, four hours and, and he said, no, he doesn't. So that's probably it. He probably had to get the urge. They slipped him a bottle under the desk and did the old road trip, pee in a bottle. 
So we were talking about uh, meaningless end-of-season victories for the Wolves. I hope we can all relish our Week 17 victory against the Lions that cost us for Sean Slater. Hopefully we all remember that victory fondly and <laughs> Rashawn Slater doesn't turn out to be a multi-time All-Pro for the LA Chargers because uh, that, that Week 17 W is costly. Oh, do you guys feel pretty confident that if uh, if Slater was there, we drafted him? Oh yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I, he was. He was a yeah. guy who would. We don't, who, we he would have been back. too good to pass up. I think. Yeah, I agree. Do you think the Vikings have somebody specific that they want in the third round? Like they've targeted that they think will drop, and that was the reason they went for that third round. Like, do they think they can get an edge rusher there, or? Do you think they're going to try to package these again somehow today and keep moving, keep moving the line backwards? I I hope that they package them today and move into the second round. I hope that was like the general theme of maybe this was the best offer, so they did it, hoping that they could trade that Jets third-round pick and maybe one or two fourth-round picks to move into the middle or early part of the second round. I'm not sure, like, the value on those picks, like, if you were looking at a, a trade master thing on how much value a fourth has versus a, a second, but I would, I would love to see them move into the second round and, and address that edge rushing position or maybe get a safety or something like that. So that would be, that'd be what I hope for today. Moving up two picks today, one in the second, and hopefully they keep one third. Did any of you hope the Vikes would take Mac Jones, stay at 14, and take take Big Mac? No. Not me. I know I joked about it, but no. I was really hoping the Bears would take him because I think Justin Fields is, is going to be much more dangerous to play against in the NFC North than Mac Jones would have been. But unfortunately, they took Justin Fields, so... This might be some good soundbite to save, but um, does anybody get sneaky like Lamar Jackson vibes from Justin Fields? Because I do. Like, I feel like he plays a similar style where he's pretty athletic. He's got a good arm, but he's like might be a slightly better passer than Lamar Jackson was coming out of school. And so, like, I'm a little intimidated. I don't. I, I guess I should say he's probably he's not as fast. We that that we already know, but but I I feel like he's gonna. I don't know. I think he could be sneaky, potentially the second best quarterback out of this class. Like, I, I think he can be good. And I think it worries me a little bit that he's going to the Bears, yeah. to be honest. Because if the Bears did just find a quarterback that's going to be good for the next five years, that's going to suck. Because they'll be on rookie money and they will be good in two years. The key thing you just said is that he's on the Bears. <laughs> He might have been a good quarterback in another life, but now that he's on the Bears, they'll find a way. They'll find, they'll a, find way. a way to turn him to turn Mess him it to all ash. Up. Yeah, <laughs> I did not appreciate when uh, when the Bears did pick pick Fields. Mel Kiper just had to take a shot at Kirk Cousins. I mean, I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins defender typically, but he's my quarterback, and he called him a plateau quarterback, and he had a he had a pretty damn good year last year. And he's getting sacked all the time. Come on, Mel, give us a little bit of respect. Mel Kuyper sees through the stats. It's his job. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, in my opinion, one of the important things about draft night is to be as emotional and as, as vulnerable as possible. 
Um, and I think that really showed through last night at times. Um, in our group message, I sent some pretty wild stuff. Um, I definitely, I, I think I hate Mel Kuyper, which might not be a super popular opinion. Maybe with this group it is, but I'm just not a fan. Like, I feel like his takes are rarely right. And when you know why I know that, because they brought up the whole. Was it 2004 when Eli Manning, Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger um, got drafted? I think it was that year. And they brought up the fact that he said, oh, none of these guys are going to be a bust. Like, they're all going to work out. And I know that because they went back to 2004 for that, that right. I was just going to say. This is the same guy that thought Jimmy Clausen was going to be a Hall of Famer. So I just don't like read that much into like, I don't I don't know. I don't like Kuiper. That's my point. I think he's just overblown. His job is the easiest job in the entire world because I bet he doesn't even do that much scouting. Other people do, will do that. And then he just reads the game notes and then makes assessments and they're mostly wrong. So I'm over him. Booger <laughs> McFarlane just needs to stop being on TV. I, I can't handle it. He sucks. I hate him. I think his insight's terrible. He was saying last night that he'd said, I think three different players were the best rusher of the passer in the draft. That just doesn't make sense at certain points. There's one best player that rushes the passer in the draft. And he claimed three different players were, I'm like, Hey, way to cover all your bases, booger. It's only the first round, save some material, pal. So I don't know. I think, I think there, I was emotionally up and down. I hated the, I hated the trade. I was furious at the trade. I thought it was bad. I'm glad we ended up getting Derisaw at 23 instead of at 14. That's that's great because now we do have more draft capital. Hopefully we can get in the second round with that. Um, yeah, it was a wild night. It was a wild night. Also, I'd like to bring up Rashad Bateman. Um, I tweeted this out last night, but I just would like to address it on the pod. I get Anquan Bolden vibes from him going to Baltimore. I feel like he's going to have a similar career trajectory, which is a bold statement, but he just reminds me body type of Anquan Bolden a lot. And I think that is a very nice comparison for him. So hopefully that, that is true. And I'm right about that. Cause that'd be great if uh, the Minnesota golden gopher grad had a pretty, pretty good career in the NFL. And I had just had a delightful evening. I wasn't stressed. I no booger. Wasn't, I wasn't picking that nose. Like I was fine. Mel Kuyper's weird hairdo didn't get to me. This is why you don't watch the draft, folks. Okay, I don't think you get to say that as a Wolves fan. Like, with as much emotional stress that you deal with, you're like, yeah. But at least it matters. It's the real game. It's not some phony, <laughs> made-up event. Oh, don't even say that. You know the draft is not phony because it is impactful in the NFL. Like, you will... Most teams probably get three or four impact players next year. I would. Oh, argue. don't get me wrong. The draft itself but as an entity is yeah. fine. The, every every league has a draft, and that's okay. I like that part of it. But it doesn't need to be like this massive event that everybody gets so hyped up for. Just don't run the picks. Yeah. That's how I feel about the Wolves season at times, though, as well. Just for the record. It doesn't need to be this massive event. We kind of know how it's going to play out. It's um, not. So it's just... as... Let's just get to as, the end. As soon as like we're seven games into the season, nobody's thinking about the Wolves, but a few fighter dies, baby. The pack. <laughs> yeah, but the beginning of the season is always like, ah, that eight seed, 
it's there for the taking. Nobody's nobody's putting up putting putting their tent up there in that spot. But no, I do get it. I I, I get the overhype because it's a little ridiculous at times. I think the MLB does it right. I know they have to get through 17 rounds, so they have to speed through it. But it's like, okay, let's just let's keep going. But maybe it's the NFL trying to already bolster stars, you know, so they have stars going. Um, it's a league; you got to make money, I guess. So do all the things you can to hype up your own your own players, and they are one of the better, I guess, at that. Wow, sounds like Ike might be tuning yeah. into the draft That's... next year. Flip flop. No, <laughs> I'm just a rational I, thinker. I... You know, you got to see stuff from all sides. I think that's a good point. The NBA draft does do a good job of pushing the player's brand. Like you get to kind of like see and resonate with these college players that are now going to the NFL. NFL does that too. Or yeah, NFL and NBA are, they're the two best. And I guess, I don't know, that means something. A couple of quick shout outs here. First shout out to us, the MMP mock draft. We were four for four to start the draft. We were coming in hot, lost a little steam, but then I would say, so we made four Ooh, selections for the Vikings at pick 14. I would say we went two for four on those selections. We chose four different players, but Ike, you nailed pick 14. It wasn't the Vikings, mm-hmm, but the Jets mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. select Elijah Vera Tucker at pick 14. And Lou, you nailed it. The Vikes took Christian Dersaw. So I'm calling that a two for four on the Vikes pick, 50%. That's pretty good. You ask me who's going to go at pick 14, I'm going to tell you who's going to go at pick 14. We need to be clearer next time. <laughs> yeah, other than that, our uh, our draft went off the rails pretty quickly after pick number four. Uh, I would like to pat myself on the back here, and I say I did get number 13 right as well. The high talent going right before the Vikings, which typically happens, so little good news bad news there and second just a, a shout out to the tell em sports twitter followers follow us on twitter at tell em sports we throw out a poll are you happy with the derisau pick yes meh or no over 75 percent of people answered yes only two percent of people answered no a couple meh is in there so seems like vikes fans in general pretty happy with the derisau pick a little crowdsourcing there and now, we haven't talked Twins in a while. Twins have been scuffling, so they haven't really given us much of a reason to talk Twins. They're 8-15, and a little bit of a slow start, but it's a long season left. I think everyone is a little bit skewed in their perspective of the MLB season because last season was so short and every game was so meaningful. So the Twins are 8-15. and In terms of 2020 games... When it was only a 60 game season, it would be like going three and five and a half in the 2020 season. I think everyone's freaking out. The sky is falling, but we have like 140 games left on the season. Isaiah Welkley, how do you feel about the Minnesota Twins? I would say the sky is not falling, trending in the right direction. It's been a it's been a weird start to the season in terms of the team's health. They've had some issues with COVID and had a lot of lineup shuffling because of it um we haven't gotten to see as much of the you know stock infield as we would have wanted of donaldson simmons polanco um and then i yeah i'm not i'm not pressing the panic button it it did look a little grim there um 
when they start losing to the Indians and to the Pirates, uh, that's you never like to see two losses to the Pirates. But yeah, I'm I'm not panicking yet. I missed a couple a couple weeks ago. I missed uh, the podcast, and that was actually I was on a special assignment from the Mini Market podcast. I was sent down to Fort Myers uh, on an, a bit of an investigative journalistic uh, topic, and uh, my mission was to find out what in the world happened to Kenta Maeda and Randy Dobnik. Both pitchers were absolutely stellar in spring training down in Fort Myers. Kenta Maeda had a ERA below 0.5 in 18 innings. He was electric. He was hitting his spots. He had 22 strikeouts, only one walk. And Randy Dobnik was uh, equally good in 15 innings. And they've both had really tough starts to their season. Uh, Maeda, especially, he is known specifically for being able to hit his spots and being electric uh, in just popping the mitt. But he has been kind of all over the zone in his few starts this year. It's been uh, not great. He's given up 36 hits already. Um, he just has not been as sharp. His ERA is almost seven. Uh, he's got two losses on the season in his five starts. It, he gave up 40 hits all of last year. And he's already given up 36. So, and 19 runs already only gave up 20 last year. So we don't have the same pitcher as we thought uh, last year so far. Um, I'll tell you what I did find. I had a theory when I went down to Fort Myers of, okay, what happened? My running theory was that somebody in the White Sox organization colluded to kidnap Kenta Maeda and Randy Dobnik and tie them up and keep them under Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers, Florida and replace them with doppelgangers that aren't as good as pitching. I found that that was unsubstantiated, so still <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. Did you get any film out of that? I wouldn't see like a 60-minute special on you crawling in the, the underbelly of Hammond Stadium. Should be coming early 2022. Just keep your eye out. So, how are you feeling about the Twins? It's really hard to say. Because it seems like an overreaction to be nervous. I sort of went through this a couple of weeks ago about how baseball's a long season. There are hot spells and cold spells for any team. But some of the players have been cold now since 2019. Jorge Polanco hasn't been good. Miguel Sano has been bad. So there are some guys where you're like, how long can you afford to be patient with them? Overall, I still think the Twins are a good team, but you just worry if Rocco sticks with what worked in 2019 and just thinks guys are going to work their way through it, and then they don't, and it's we're 50 games into the season, and now we're eight or nine games back of a playoff spot. It might be too late to turn things around. So I don't think I'm worried in general, but there are a few players, I think largely Sano, who has been pretty bad for now like 80 plus games he's always been a streaky hitter but eventually you have to have some hot streaks to to qualify as a streaky hitter <laughs> <laughs> i just wonder are they gonna eventually say okay we have alex kirloff we have trevor larnick we have some guys in the minors who we can give extended spells and you you know miguel snow you haven't earned your spot in the lineup so we're gonna play you sparingly against matchups that favor you but we're not going to throw you out there every day and the, the bullpen it has been 
pretty shaky. I wrote a piece like a month ago now about spring training takeaways, and our bullpen was terrible in spring training. I think Duffy, Rogers, Colome, Robles, they all had ERAs over five in spring training. And I was like, I get it spring training, but we need to be a little bit concerned that they need to get it together in a hurry because, you know, Rocco always relies heavily on the back of his bullpen. And we've seen that when they don't pitch well, looking at you, Alex Colome, the twins struggle. Yeah. And you just wonder, Colome has been so bad. What are they going to do now without him? Who are they going to pull into what would have been his spot in the ninth inning? Probably Rogers, but then who slides into Rogers' spot because Duffy's been bad. So I don't know. Connor, you look like you had something to say. No, yeah, I was just gonna kind of talk about the Sano thing, and I think I agree. It's it's just been frustrating, but I I think that's the the great thing about being at the major league level. Like you you can do that sort of thing and just say, hey, listen, we're gonna put you in a favorable matchup, and maybe that leads to him getting a little kick in the back of the pants there um, and, and kind of fire him up a little bit because, I don't know, he just doesn't seem like he, he I don't know, his at-bats, his approach doesn't seem great. Like, he's swinging at pitches out of the zone. He's he's taking pitches. I don't know. It just feels like he's – something's off with him right now and he needs to kind of get, like, refocused somehow. I'm not, I'm not sure how to do it, but that's why they pay the big bucks to figure that out there for the Twins. So – yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think I I totally agree with your point where we have young guys in the waiting. Let's let's get them some innings. Let's let's see how they can fare at the level of the MLB pitching. And and I I just overall thought it was I thought it was a good point. Dalton, you mentioned like earning your spot with Sano and like you you know nothing's for sure given, but what it, what does earning your spot mean? Is it done over the last 80 games or is it the career that he's had? Because I think you still, like you talked about his ability to be streaky and he's been really important to this team when the when the team has been rolling. And obviously right now he's down bad. And Connor, you talked a little bit about his approach and that's kind of like a telltale sign of like a guy who is grasping for straws at the plate when they they start doing things that they don't normally do and they're taking pitches right down the middle and then they're swinging at sliders outside. Um, but I think it's a, just the way it's a long season for a whole team. It's a long season for a guy like to say that he hasn't earned his spot over just based off the last 80 games feels a little bit wrong to me. And I, I know Kirloff has looked good early, but I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily like, oh, you got to make the switch. That's fair. Yeah. Um, because if you did the same thing with Buxton, he wouldn't be playing this year, maybe. I mean, potentially, you could say like they're on that same timetable. And obviously, Buxton's shown a little bit more improvement this year, Lou. But if if you were ready to pull the plug really quick on guys, you, you might miss out on that extra little bit of development. Okay, so Sano is 28 years old. Um Let's, yeah, let's look at his last four seasons. 2018, he hit 199. 2019, he had a good season. He played 105 games, hit 247 with 34 bombs. That's like a 50 home run pace. So that was really good. But then 2020, he hit 204. We know he struggled a little bit last year. And then he's hitting 111 this year. So he hit over 200 in two of the last four seasons. One of those seasons, he hit 204. So before those four seasons, he was an all-star in 2017, so it's not like he's been bad his whole career. 
but you just wonder how long can you afford to roll with him and point to his the old Miguel Sano. I agree. I, I think you're right, and it wouldn't be fair to demote him right away and be like, oh, now you're our bench hitter. But you just worry. There has to be some point where you say, okay, you haven't hit well in 100 games now. We can't afford to keep putting you out there if we want to be a playoff team. But you can't judge Miguel Sano on his average. I mean, that's unfair. That's not what he's in there to do. He had 25 extra base hits and 25 RBIs last season in 60 games. It's not great, but it's not as bad as a 204 average as it's presented. Like a power hitter at their very best hits 240. So 204 is not that far off the mark. And obviously, I agree with you guys that this year it's it's looked different. And he might, Connor, like you said, if it could be favorable matchups, but it also could be a stint down in the minors. And I think that's worked for him in the past. Is you drop it's it's usually been on a rehab assignment for Sano because he gets hurt once a year and he has to go back down to the minors. But he seems to get right as he comes back up from the minors. And I don't know, maybe that's what he needs right now. Get a little confidence back. Because it, sometimes it can be just that with hitting. Like there's no mechanical issues. Uh, it's just a little bit of confidence that's starting to waver and cause him to do some weird things at the plate. I'm not a hitting guru, but sometimes I'm like, do you have to swing so hard, Miguel Sano? Like you're 290 pounds of muscle. Like, do you have to hit 500 foot home runs? Like when you're slumping, can you just try to hit a gap or like a, you know... A 350-foot home run to left? Right. Yeah, 350 works like just fine, too. Pitches and look like he's trying to hit it out of target yeah. field. And I'm like, I, I guess I get it. Like, you make your money hitting bombs. But when you're slumping so badly, I don't know. I guess it's one of those things, like, you can't tell pro athletes to not go 100%. I will say when Sano connects with one, when he swings that hard, it is just sweet to watch i don't know if i like watching a ball fly off a different bat when he connects with one he just his follow-through his smooth little walk out of the out of the batter's box to his his big body trotting down the baseline it's fun to watch but hasn't been happening a lot lately as mentioned one thing on Sano is that just from watching him it feels like he hits a flat ball and we are an analytics podcast. So beep, boop, 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 boop. based on what I see, like his home runs, yes, he hits them super, super hard. Like his exit velo is always tops. But I feel like his launch angle is really low. And he ends up getting a lot of like line drive home runs to left and a lot of like balls that uh, if you got launch angle into it would be a home run. But they're like ground balls to third or like line drives to the third baseman or doubles down the line. And so... I don't know if it's the swing thing specifically. Like, is his swing path too flat and he's not getting any of that backspin? Like, it, with as hard as he swings, he should be hitting more really, really, really deep home runs. And as big as he is, as strong as he is. And I think it might have something to do with his launch angle being too flat, which is, I never thought I'd say that. But. Wow. I mean, you got a point. I mean, look at Nelson Cruz. He's very similar body type and. He just gets the ball elevated. He doesn't ground out a whole lot. He hits a lot of fly balls and he hits a lot of home runs. We just solved the issue. Way to go, Ike. Thanks. I got some heat on Twitter about a take that I had that I want to discuss with you guys. What, Randy Dobnik or? Well, I I did include Randy Dobnik in this tweet, but that was um, 
That was for the comedic content. I said Byron Buxton is... It's funny, Lou. <laughs> I said Byron Buxton is the most exciting player in baseball, parentheses, Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis Jr. included, comma, Randy Dobnik excluded. And I got some heat saying that was a terrible take. And Isaiah also said it was a bad take. But I just think Buxton, he's tied for the MLB lead in home runs. He has elite sprint speed. He beats out ground balls that would be outs for 99% of people. That one hopper to the shortstop against, I think it was Cleveland, and he just beat it out. That's like, that's just stupid. How does exactly? That and he makes crazy diving plays. So what's exciting? Home runs, running crazy fast, making cool defensive plays. Byron Buxton checks all the boxes at an absurd rate. So I think Byron Buxton is the most exciting player in baseball. He's not flashy enough, though. Like, he doesn't have the swag. He doesn't, I don't know. Like, I'm just comparing him strictly to Tatis Jr. right now because that dude just, he's got it all. I think also helps that he's on the West Coast. Big, big part of why this podcast is a thing. It doesn't help that Buxton plays on the Twins. I think he plays a lot into it. Uh, sorry, Connor, I cut you off. What you got? Oh, I was just going to say kind of what you were saying. I think that the biggest thing for Tatis is his personality is really fun too, which I think you relate to. Well, now the Mike Trout thing is just different because he's just the best player in baseball. So that's what makes him exciting. Like he is the cream of the crop. I think the top player in baseball. And honestly, I don't even know if it's that close. So, um, but Tatis is so, he's really good, but he's also so exciting. Like his personality is great. He's pimping home runs. He's doing goofy stuff with Trevor Bauer and covering the eye and all that stuff. Like that's just like, I think personally, that's the way baseball grows is through this stuff. And like, like Trevor Bauer had a quote this week about that, about getting a two bombs hit off him by Tatis and Tatis, like doing the eye patch thing that Bauer does and kind of like, you know, um, rubbing it in, rubbing his face in it a little bit. He was like, you know, that's what baseball needs. That's to help grow the game. People like the controversy and people like, he said, it's better to just, you know, take that one on the chin than go throw out the guy the next pitch. Like, that's not going to help grow the game. And I think that that's a big piece of it for Tatis is his, he's just such an electric player. Like, he's so fun to watch because of his personality as well. And I don't think Byron Buxton is that way. His personality is, He's probably a nice guy, but he just isn't that vibrant, exciting guy you would like love to hang out with type of thing. But I will say, Dalt, to your point, he does have he does make the this the, simply the game exciting that way. But I don't think the holistic picture of baseball, he's there quite. Yet. I think yeah, he I think you nailed that right on the head. He's he's very similar to Mike Trout in that aspect where he's not he just kind of gets in and gets his work done this year. Um which is great to see for like, if you're a very avid baseball fan, you're really appreciating what he's doing. But again, he's just, he doesn't have that, that pizzazz that uh, like Tatis Jr. has. I think the word you wanted Dalton was dynamic. He's the most dynamic player in baseball. Ooh. Cause I think what happens is when you say exciting, it's exactly what Lou Connor, some folks on Twitter and myself think is like, what's their personality? Like, do I like, really want to follow them and see what they're up to. And I always think of Ronald Acuna Jr. 
when I think of exciting, just the way that he plays, he's got pop and chains. He's losing his helmet and he's running around. He's got, as Lou would say, tons of swags and he's like going to hit mammo tanks because he swings super hard and he's going to dive head first all the time. Um, he's just a flashier player. That's, I think what it is. Buxton, this is no knock on Buxton. He's stellar. And this season has been what everybody in Minnesota has been hoping, wishing, praying for from Byron Buxton sure. since, I don't know, like 2010, like when he was doing stuff in the minor leagues, it was like, oh, this is the guy. And this is what we thought we were getting. So I think it's just word choice. I think it's not exciting. Uh, and then I got one thing on uh, Trevor Bauer and Tatis Jr. If I'm in the Dodgers clubhouse, if I'm on Trevor Bauer's team and I'm battling with my division rival who most people think are the two best teams in the entire NL and Tatis takes my one or two best starter deep twice in a game and he's worried about not that he's getting smacked by Tatis, but he's worried about the game as a whole. I'm a little pissed off. We're going to war right now. This is our rival. Like, why are you worried about whether or not the game as a whole is growing from this. Like you should be worried about, are we winning games? Like, are we going to get stood up and like have this guy showboat in your face as a division rival? I feel like you lose a little flair there. I don't know. Am I going to war Uh, with Trevor Bauer? Maybe not because he's worried about other things. That's a good point. I think, I don't remember who said it, but I believe it was one of the Dodgers. It might've been Trevor Bauer. Who knows? Um, because I think the the Dodgers and the Padres play like 16 times this year, and they they said, you know, we have 16 World Series games in the regular season this year, and maybe it doesn't feel like that to Trevor Bauer. He might be on to something. I I think you guys are reading into the details a little bit too much. I like, I think you got to remember, like, it's a 162 game season. They're gonna play him 16 times, so. And Trevor Bauer understands the game of baseball enough to know that guys are going to take him deep. It's unfortunate that it happens in a game against the Padres, but I don't think guys in the locker room are looking around like, oh, he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't, you know, he's not the guy to, he's not the guy to be there at the end. Like he shoves, he want him on your team because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And the sideshow thing with him is, I would say six out of 10 times more beneficial than negative, maybe seven because he brings a lot of energy. He brings a lot of atmosphere. He, and there's, you can't argue he brings edge. Like that's the whole point. Like I think people love him because, and his teammates love him because when he strikes out, he struts around the mound and stuff like that. Like he's going to smear people's face in it. But his point is if you, if you're going to do that, you better be able to get your face smeared in it. And I think that was his point. It's not like, well, Oh, well, another home run given up against the Padres. Oh, well, we lost to the Padres because like he's still having a good season and stuff. I just think, yeah, I think I think you're reading into it a little too much trying to create controversy. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Back to Buxton. That was a good point, Connor. Defend yourself, Dalton. (laughs) Well, you were saying that I'm mixing up. Yeah. dynamic and exciting and i would say to you guys that you're mixing up flashy and exciting i think those are different and i think the swag factor of do they have swag doesn't necessarily mean they're exciting and to me like i'm a little disappointed in you guys because you guys are baseball guys <laughs> and to me you guys should appreciate the exciting aspects of <laughs> yes. the game 
being baseball guys rather than just the person. I think what happens is you get a little bit of flashy, a little bit of swag, a little bit of dynamic. You mix it all up in a pot. That's exciting. It's not that we are just, we just love the flashiest player. They have to be really, really good. Like we, Tatis and Acuna are really, really good. Just like Tatis Buxton is Trout, a really, they really just good have hitter. This other... Tatis is a terrible fielder. He had seven errors in their first six games. He has a fielding percentage of 0.80. Outs above average is like minus 20 on his career. So he's a good hitter and he's fast, but he's not a he is not on the same level as Byron Buxton. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna put my name on that right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I I I don't know. I I think that. The big factor, though, that you, you're calling flashy, but I think it's exciting, is, like, there's a factor of just wanting to be that person because their personality is cool. And I don't necessarily think it's flashy always. I think it's just, like, oh, this guy, this guy is somebody who I want to be. Like, Byron Buxton is, I mean, for some kids, I'm sure they're like, oh, I'd love to be Byron Buxton, diving catches in the outfield. And, like, he's playing really good at the dish and stuff. But... Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a personality thing where he's just blah. Like, you hear him in an interview, he's boring. Like, he's not fun. And so that makes him less attractive to be, like, the most exciting player in baseball. Because in every major sport right now, the personalities a lot of times are, like, are growing faster than maybe the best athletes even at times. I think in terms of fandom. I think people love the personality. They love a guy that gets on, you know, the post-game interview and he'll, he'll like, you know, talk to talk to people and stuff like that, but then also they can back it up. So I think exciting in encapsulates, I don't think that's a word, but if it is now it is, um, you know, it includes that, that piece of it as being a personality. Like I think Isaiah, I, I think he's great defensively, but I also think there's a component too that if you're not a baseball guy, you don't really care that much about that. So like in terms of being exciting and the holistic sports realm of things, that's where I think personality plays a big role. I, I don't think it's a bad point, though. I think it's a fair, fair thing to bring up because I think he's in he's generally in the conversation. I just don't think he's there because I think the personality is vanilla. And and I'm looking for it at the mm-hmm. bare minimum a hot fudge Sunday. So we'll agree to disagree. Bunch of giants going at it. Love it. Agree, disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of a fun story. For the twins that got some coverage in twin circles, but not anything nationally, obviously. Uh, Nick Gordon got called up seven years after the twins picked him fifth overall. He was once a top, top prospect in MLB, but he has since fallen off and has is kind of a fringe MLB player. But shortstop second baseman Nick Gordon, son of Flash Gordon. I don't know what the guy's real name is, but he was called Flash Gordon. And brother of D. Gordon, <laughs> MLB All-Star. He got called up, didn't play, but was on the Twins roster for a couple games, then got sent back down. But it was seven years after he got drafted. And it got me thinking, how long would you guys stick around? How long would you stick with it before just being like, I give up. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. Seven years in the minors, that's a long time. I had a question regarding that. Am I moving up and down? Am I getting any traction towards the majors? Or am I say I'm just like stuck in double A for five years out of those seven? You're Nick Gordon. <laughs> so high prospect, not a lot of results, huh? I think a lot of this probably, for me, depends on the financial piece. Like, 
how how much he signed for and stuff like that. Because at a certain point, seven years of minor league baseball, seven years of living in poverty probably weighs on you a little bit at times. So if you're financially like supported, either if that's by like your parents helping you out or if that's by not to get too real on you here, but um, or if that's by like a big signing bonus or something like that, then then I think I think you could you could stick at it. Like it's a mental a mental hurdle, right? To having being told you're like going to be the next guy. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, start looking around and all these guys around you're getting pulled up to the majors and you're kind of hanging out and double a and then single triple a and all kinds of bouncing around. But I think when you're a top five pick, like I think, you know, it's in there somewhere to be a MLB player, even if it's not a top end. Like, I think mentally he's like, I can do this. And so you kind of keep plugging away at it. Unless, like I said, if you run out of money yeah, at he, some point, you gotta I don't think that's an say, issue. Right. He signed a $3.85 million signing bonus in 2014. So I think he's doing okay. State income tax. <laughs> it's going to get you. So, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think you keep plugging away at it, but I got to think like if he goes down and never, you know, and stays down all year, is it time? Maybe. Because once you get a taste of the MLB, I got to imagine going back to the minors oh, really stinks. sure. The way I'm thinking about it right now is, is the minor leagues better than what I'm doing now? And I think, yeah, if I could play Ouch. ball semi-professionally. I hope your boss isn't listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you got to keep keep it up. I think especially as a top five pick like you and you're not living up to results. You have some, uh, but you have some expectations you're trying to live up to. And I mean, you have this weight on your shoulders that you kind of want to prove people wrong that, that they're kind of, everyone's kind of written them off. Um, so I think you got to try at least to keep grinding it out. I, I agree. Seven years in the minors is quite a long time to only get called up. I believe this was the first time and I don't even think he played. So He's got to start making some moves. Otherwise, it's probably looking like it might be time to, to change career paths. I think we're finding out why we were all only Division three baseball players. We have <laughs> zero love of the game. Nobody likes, except for Dalton, nobody likes Byron Buxton. <laughs> nobody appreciates what he's doing. And none of you are willing to grind it out in the minors just to play the game that you love and get paid to do it. Is that not enough? Is that not enough? I would say the exact opposite for division three players. You are going to school and you take on a significant time commitment with no financial benefit. And so you're literally playing for the love of the game. Fan. So I will that was like you seven saying, years ago, man. Quit living in the past. Players. I would say if you're the walk on, <laughs> if you're the division one walk on, you're the one who's like, the love of the game is pretty high as well. But if you're the guy who gets a scholarship and then you just kind of putts around, never really make anything of yourself, that's the guy you should be looking at. Right that now. guy that made a division one roster on scholarship was putzing around, didn't make anything of himself. I disagree. <laughs> well, if he doesn't do anything with that it, is doing if he doesn't do anything, with making it, a division one roster he, on scholarship is enough. But when you're there, like we're talking about the college level of sport. So when it doesn't matter what you did to get your scholarship, it's about what you're doing as you have it. So we played four years of division three sports because we love the game, not because we were getting any gain from it at all, other than just getting to play the game again at division one level, he gets a free education. So there's incentive to stay out and not even play really. Right. Like, 
just being on the team. And if you don't actually contribute, I'd say that's the person. Well, that doesn't I mean, that, the there could be a lot of factors for why somebody doesn't contribute. They could just be outpaced a little bit. Like somebody's just better. This would happen to D Gordon. You're not going to say D Gordon's a her Nick Gordon's a bad baseball player because he couldn't make it to the MLB. Same way you wouldn't say that a guy who made a Division One roster is a bad p- baseball player because he couldn't compete at the Division One level. And to stay on and go to all those practices and put in all the work that the person who's still on that roster has to do, I think that's still a certain level of love of the game. But we're getting totally I sidetracked here. Here's if, if I were Nick Gordon, this is what I would have done. I was drafted in 2014. Signing bonus, Lou, you said what? 3.4 million? 3.85. 3.85. We're saying state income taxes. So I don't know. He comes out with like one seven. Call it two million. Okay, we'll call it yeah. two million. I invest that I invest half of the two million into Bitcoin in twenty fourteen. Okay. Priced at three hundred dollars a piece. And then, yeah, I play baseball for the rest of my life because it doesn't matter. You, I'll pay the team to let me keep playing because why not at that point? You've got a goo goo gaga amount of money and then you just get to feed, you get to be Bull Durham basically and just have a great life playing ball. That's what I would do. I just want to say, I think recording Friday mornings, we're, we're all hyped up, fired up, going at each other. I wish we were in the same room, get a little physical altercation going on. Got a little extra energy on Fridays always, you know? Yeah, the buzz of the weekend. Normally, we got the Sunday scaries going. So we'll leave it at that. This has been the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And if you haven't yet, leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe. And follow us on Twitter at Tellum Sports. And we will see you next week. Peace. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.